Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast on Believe. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by CBS sports reporter AJ Ross. AJ talks about how her time in news helped make her a better sports reporter, not cutting corners, why game day is her favorite day, and so much more. This is a fantastic episode, so let's get to it. AJ, thank you so much for joining me today. I have been very excited to have you on Get My Job and talk about your journey. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very humbled and excited to be a part of the show. Well, let's jump right in and talk about your professional journey. You are obviously now with CBS Sports, but if you could take us through kind of how this started and and how you got to where you are today. Well, I've been with CBS now for four years, but prior to that, I, I started in news, actually. The media landscape has obviously changed and is still evolving, but coming out of college, I started at ESPN behind the scenes, and at that time, they weren't giving many opportunities to, you know, college students with no experience. <laughs> um, they're not going to, you know, just put you straight on Sports Center. So, I uh, was a production assistant, which basically meant, you know, I wrote the scripts for the anchors that they would read on Sports Center and other specialty shows. I cut highlights to go along with those scripts, and it was a great way to just get immersed in the sports industry out the gate working for ESPN. Um, And I had some really great mentors there. But the reality at that time was like, look, we're not going to just, you know, elevate you to an anchor chair after one or two years. So my mentors at the time um, encouraged me to go to a smaller market and get my feet wet there. And um, that's exactly what I did. So I left ESPN after two years. And jumped into uh, the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina local news market, working for an NBC affiliate. And I one man banded. So I wrote, shot, edited all my stories. And even at that time, I still, of course, like love sports my entire life. So I volunteered to do like Friday night lights and cover high school football. And, you know, I was traveling all over these backwoods of South Carolina in this little jelly bean car (laughs) shooting (laughs) high school football highlights just to, you know, start building a um, tape and having this, you know, experience that um, it all came to fruition some years down the line. But at the time, I didn't see how, you know, just even those nights of, um, again, putting a lot of miles on the car, um, FTPing, which basically means like remotely sending back highlights and, you know, figuring out ways to like cram stuff into a two minute block. Um, those little experiences lead to, um, you know, opportunities down the line and just open your eyes to how much all around, um, work goes into a broadcast and the people behind the scenes, how much they contribute. So it was a journey for sure. I jumped around Mm -hmm. after Myrtle Beach to several other local news markets, eventually landing in New York, where I worked for ABC New York as a general assignment reporter. And so that entailed a lot of crime, but um, still it was great experience and honing my writing skills and live shots and, you know, different scenarios, especially in New York, you're, you're covering all types of wild, crazy stories. So when it comes to sports now, 
um, nothing is in as intense as what I did before. I can say that. Uh, that makes sure. sense. So, yeah, it's not life and death. So um, I started after three years at ABC to freelance for CBS Sports. So I was ironically working like seven days a week. I would work Monday through Friday at ABC and then Saturday, Sunday, like catch a college football game or college basketball game, whatever CBS needed me to do at the time. And that's what I started to do. And then CBS kept calling back to see if I was available for more opportunities. And it got to a point where, you know, I had to make a decision and I left ABC and committed to CBS. And I've had an amazing, amazing time since then. And I wish my one regret is like, I wish I had done it earlier um, and just made the full, you know, jump or leap of faith into sports, but everything works out as it should. That's fantastic. And there are a couple of things that I want to break down on there because there's something that we talk a lot about on this podcast. One of them is, is many of the things you just mentioned that when you said you were kind of a one, one woman band, like, you know, running mm -hmm. around Myrtle Beach and, and in various markets doing highlights. And then you said with, with news, honing your writing skills and how important that is just to be able to do all those things. And I would imagine, so I'm not putting words in your mouth to so tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine today with what you're doing, it's really helpful to know so well what's going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. There's no cheating the process. And what I kind mm -hmm. of alluded to as far as the media landscape changing, like there's so many platforms and social media nowadays that you don't necessarily need to follow a traditional path to get to where you want to go. And that's all fine and well. And I don't mean to imply that people shouldn't, you know, carve their own way. There's no particular formula for success. But when you do, you know, get your chops developed in a smaller market or um, try to really master your craft, that really manifests in different ways down the line. And it makes your job so much easier. Like, yes, you can cut corners, but for so long, but when it comes to dealing with, I'll just say pressure, you know, I'm always calm under pressure. And I, I definitely attribute that to having been in so many situations in news where my deadlines were so tight or not even a deadline. I literally had to arrive on the scene and then just start talking about what I see, what I hear, gather witnesses, you know, try to get, you know, information in a very short amount of time and a tight turnaround. And when you speak about writing, writing and storytelling, that's that's the sheer essence of what we do as journalists. So if you aren't passionate about trying to perfect that and having a distinct voice of your own that separates you from the masses, there's so many people that want to do what we do. And it's a it's an awesome job. I feel very blessed because it doesn't feel like work. But um, there is something to trying to distinguish yourself apart from a group to you know, solidify your success. And if you don't put in the time and the effort and really try to lean on people who you know have more experience and can teach you things, um, you may not go as far as you would like to go. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really invaluable advice. And that's interesting what you said about staying so calm under pressure, because that is something I, I think for people who first get into this industry, it, it feels it feels like a lot of pressure when a game ends and you've got to grab the coach and you've got to do this and you've got to get it done really fast and all of these things. But when you've worked in, in news and you've done what you've done, it's what, like you said, it's not life and death. And if you could talk a little bit about making that switch to news and coming back. And uh, one of the things I want to highlight there is that was obviously invaluable experience for you. And 
you love sports and you wanted to be in sports, but you took a position where you could really learn and hone your craft and kind of how important that is to be able to pivot when necessary. Sure. Um, There's times where, you know, even myself, I didn't want to necessarily take a job where it wasn't the perfect fit. And certainly the salaries starting out totally sucked (laughs) in news. Um, But there is something to, you know, paying your dues that now hindsight has provided me, but I can't lie and say at the time that I didn't have nights where I was like, literally crying and praying, like, what am I doing? Like, I just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Each stop, though, um, I mentioned just a moment ago, as far as leaning on people with more experience, there had been, you know, oftentimes in local markets, there's some people that have been there like 20 years, which is rare. Again, nowadays, a lot of us like bounce around to different jobs, and understandably so. But, you know, to lean on some of these people who like, you know, had more experience than however old I was at the time. Right. And um, you can even just, if there's someone like, Hey, I want to do what they do. And you humble yourself enough to just simply ask them like, Hey, what are the steps you took? Or what do you find is helpful? Um, Oftentimes those people are more than willing to share that information. So I have to say, I did that at most places that I I worked in news Mm -hmm. and um, writing is universal whether it's print, whether it's broadcast, I think, you know, again, writing being the essence of what we do, um, people recognize good writing. Um, It is a very subjective industry. Of course, people care about how people look and how they sound. But when you are a good writer, that opens so many doors. And people oftentimes take note of like, hey, this person has, you know, these qualities, but their writing can make all the difference in how a game can be called, how your reports sound, um, and just, you know, elevating you from however many people may be competing for a position at the time. So um, I'm not sure if I quite answered your question or if I veered off, but uh, all those things contributed, I think, for sure to me eventually transitioning because when I had done news for as long as I did and um, CBS was, you know, asking me to come back more and more, um, that was one of the things that I'll, I'll say they pointed out with me, like, you know, my reports just really were different and it wasn't just, um, you know, basic things. I, I carried over some of those skills as far as research that you have to mm-hmm. do with news. So I always try to add context when I can to a report and, um, you know, give the viewer at home some additional information that they wouldn't just find on Twitter offhand or find in an article offhand that makes, you know, it makes the broadcast special. So mm-hmm. um, those things, those qualities are so transferable and they are so invaluable. So that's why I keep on hammering home, like perfect that as much as you can. Do you have any tips, like the top, maybe three kinds of things that you try to put, you know, into everything that you write? And maybe this is something that was there from the get-go, something that's changed over the years. But yeah, I guess tips for what you think the three most important things to tell in any story are. Obviously, accuracy. Um, yes, that's when I say accuracy, but you know, you say obviously too. But I'm really, but it, and it should be obvious. But I think we a little bit live in a world now where it's become people think it's less important. So you say obviously, Absolutely. but I think it's the number one thing. And I'm really glad that you've said it. Absolutely, and I'll give a good example because I covered, um, you know, I covered the NFL, I cover college basketball, I covered March Madness, and sometimes. Um, you know, people are human, we make mistakes and different sources can, um, you know, vary as far as even just stats. So Uh 
with the tournament, for example, um, there's different entities that like will keep stats throughout the year on different players. And for instance, CBS, we have, uh, I think it's next gen stats that we usually okay. refer to, but, um, maybe an ESPN or a Fox sports might refer to another, you know, sports radar or something else that provides stats. All that to say, I got sent an email once and I was doing a report on a player, like my opening report. This is going to be the first time that somebody or anybody at home hears me on that particular broadcast. And it was maybe like one point off on the average, the, you know, scoring average of this player. And I just recalled offhand because I, I overstudy everything that I do. Mm-hmm. That's something else I'll talk about later. But I just recalled like, hey, this number is different than a number I'd seen before. So I'll have to say I like went back and forth with my producer and the research department and come to find out the link had come from a source that just we don't use. Not to say that it wasn't accurate, but somehow it got mixed into like, that's just not what we use. And it wouldn't have matched the graphic that people saw on the screen. So to Mm -hmm. your point, it's always great to just double check, triple check, check rather, and not take for granted, like, just because um, one website is saying this, or maybe someone sent you an email saying that, that that is accurate, like double and triple, triple check it for yourself, because at the end of the day, it's coming out of your mouth and people are going to judge what comes out of your mouth as uh, either she's saying something right or she's saying something wrong. So um, yes, accuracy. Um, I try to write in a way that's very conversational and not like you're speaking at somebody and you have to take into account people aren't watching sports or the news, like tuned in, tuning everything else out. Right. So you Mm want to catch their attention in a way that, um, you know, as if you were having a conversation in a bar or in the grocery store or wherever else, but you're still informative. So um, there's an art to that. And I don't think there's any one way to like, have a voice and mimic somebody else because the way I tell a story should not be the exact same way you tell a story. Right. Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. want to incorporate like your own authenticity, but still be weaving in information that's pertinent to whatever it is you're reporting on. And I guess my third piece of advice would be, Hmm. It's a great question. Maybe I just have two points, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't. You know what? There don't have to be three. You know, I I think that would be honestly my third point. In that, like, even now, I I mean, I guess tooting my own horn, I feel like I'm an excellent writer, but I don't um, sit on my high horse in the sense that like I can't still learn or I can't still perfect my craft. So I I think if you you know want to perpetually be good at anything, you should always be willing to continually learn and perfect and maybe change some things and ask for advice, ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And those, and those pieces of advice, uh, are excellent and, and extremely important. And you mentioned over researching. So mm-hmm. if you could talk about that, cause you said you would go into that a little bit later, but I think over preparation in what we do is really important. You don't want to drive yourself completely crazy, but the over preparation and the example you used was really helpful because you're right. It's your name on it. So it will mm-hmm. be yeah, you, and you can't, you can't be like, well, this wasn't really me. I got an email from someone that said like, you can't do that. So, so essentially it is you. And I think as women, though, probably unfair, it's even a little bit harder for us and we have to oh, be absolutely. even more on top of it. Absolutely. Even when I first started at ESPN out of college and that being my first job, I had to know every sport 
Um, of mm. course, we all, I say we all, but generally speaking, a lot of people like, you know, the main four major sports, but a place like ESPN has highlights on golf and NASCAR and other um, sports that maybe the majority aren't keying in on year round. And I made it a point even back then, like I don't particularly follow golf, but mm-hmm. I had to, you know, study that like the back of my hand as I did NASCAR at the time. And even now with, uh, I think a lot of people at home when they're watching a broadcast don't realize the culmination of work that goes into it first and foremost, but even just as a reporter coming into the game, I study just as much as if I'm going to call every play. So mm-hmm. I, I know there needs to be a healthy work-life balance for sure, but um, my preparation, for instance, for an NFL game, we start preparing on Tuesday of that week. So um, we'll get like different packets of information from the teams, of course. I don't rely on just that. I'll look on, you know, other websites, other sources. Generally, you know, like which players will likely have a decent game or which matchups you're going to be keying in on. So I try to like have different bullet points for those particular players. Um, But that's not to negate like, you know, just having a general knowledge of everyone on each team. And then Mm -hmm. Wednesday of, of a given week, we'll start to have, at least in this, climate the last couple of years, we've had Zoom calls. Before it used to just kind of be phone calls leading up to when we travel and then we'll have in-person meetings with the teams where we could flush out further questions or storylines that we may be entertaining. Um, Friday is usually a practice with the home team that we're, you know, going to. Saturday is a walkthrough with the visiting team and then Sunday is uh, game day. But you I'll say I do, and um, the other members of the team as well, you're basically studying from Tuesday through Saturday. There's not, um, I'm not saying it's like an eight hour all day thing, but there's not particularly a day off that you're you're just completely tuning out of whatever you're preparing for because there can be so many moving parts. Someone, you know, can be on IR until right before the game or, you know, so many other variables. And when you have so many guys on each team, it's it's a lot to prepare for. And maybe you don't see the reporter, but for 15, 20 seconds throughout a quarter. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm prepared if the truck goes down or whatever crazy thing happens and you need me to call the next you know quarter, I can do that. You know, and I think that is important to your point as far as women um, and how maybe we can be perceived as not knowing a game because we haven't played it and whatever the case may be, you know, I'm watching film just like these guys are watching film. Um, so when I ask coaches different questions, you know, I, I try to ask a question that I can catch a coach off guard. I have yet Mm -hmm. to catch Bill Belichick off guard, but (laughs) (laughs) every other coach, can say more or less, you know, when I've asked them a question has said like, hmm, that's a good question or some variation of that. And I kind of get off on that. It's almost like a competition for me to like, you know, not a gotcha type of question, but almost to your point to kind of prove like, hey, I've done my research. I, you know, I'm more than prepared and I need you to answer this because I think this will be a cool story or, you know, a cool element to the broadcast. And more often than not, I think coaches and players appreciate that too, that you're not just sitting there asking a regular mundane question that anyone can ask. Mm-hmm. It's true. And that is important. It does, like you said, it does really add to your broadcast. I feel that way as, as a beat reporter, it adds to the things that I write about uh, to the content I put out. And it, it's funny. I think I maybe have told this story on this podcast before, but someone said to me uh, before last season, 
so why do you go to practice? Do you just like it? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I mean, it's lovely. Really. It's, it's a joy to get sit out there and practice all day. But, um, but I said, but it's, it's, and I said, I know it doesn't feel this way to you. And this might sound silly, but the players go to practice for a reason. And I go to practice for a reason because I can't just show up on Sunday and mm-hmm. be like, all right, cool. Let's cover this team. Like right. practice is where we learn things and see things and pay attention to things. And then we ask questions and we do interviews throughout the week. And so it was interesting, but it's an important thing to highlight because part of the reason for this podcast is also for people getting into the sports industry. And it is not just a game day job. This Mm -hmm. is every day of the week you're going to work. When I go to practice, I, I go to work. When you get on these phone calls and, and go to these practice walkers, you're going to work. Uh, it's not just waking up on game day and being like, I think I'll go watch a football game today. That's, <laughs> that's not how it works. And I think it's important. Uh, I think it's important to highlight that. So of I'm course. glad that you brought that up. Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit. Is there a, wi- a misstep you're seeing women make uh, when breaking into the sports industry or when trying to? I don't know if there's one particular misstep, but um, I think just generally speaking, people like, mm-hmm. of course, women in sports, but people in any any industry, just thinking that you can um, cut corners, it always catches up to you. And uh, that I think is the biggest misstep, like maybe someone will get an opportunity early on, um, you know, with little experience or, you know, just even knowing like, hey, maybe I should have um, a little bit more under my belt or I'm in over my head and that's fine. You can learn things on the job. I I'm still learning things, but, um, to not want to, or again, humble yourself to figure out how you can be that much better. I think that's a, a huge misstep to just take for granted. Like, well, I, I got here. I'm fine. Like, no, <laughs> you have to make sure that you, you know, keep on, um, doing the work. There's no, there's no shortcuts for that. Kind of speaking of on that point a little bit uh, for you personally, when you first started out or even maybe more recently, is there a criticism you received that, that was difficult to take, but ended up being really helpful? I went to a journalism conference again, fresh out of college. I, I go every year. It's called the National Association of Black Journalists Conference. And mm-hmm. uh, you go around to different booths and there's news directors and recruiters from different entities and they'll look at your reel and give you, you know, feedback. So this was my very first reel. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it was pretty bad. Um, but you know, I thought at the time, like, Hey, I didn't think I was big stuff, but you know, I'm trying, right. I'm just trying to get right. my phone in there in the door anywhere. So I went to a news director. I believe he was in Charlotte, which, you know, was a mid market. Um, and again, it wasn't, you know, that I expected to get a job with him, but I'm just looking for feedback from everyone. I humbled myself. So this is me following my own advice. This Mm -hmm. man said to me, you're a pretty girl, but you'll never work in television. And it felt like somebody put a dagger in my heart, right? I, you know, Mm -hmm. got up, walked away, go and I found a bathroom. I'm calling my mom in one of the stalls, like bawling, crying. And she's like, are you really going to let this one guy um, completely deter you from your dream. Like, you know, she's giving me like a gut check at the time. Like, really, you're going to let one person, um, completely crush your dreams. And, um, I appreciate my mom, you know, we're just 
coming on the heels of Mother's Day. She's always been like my biggest, fiercest, you know, fighter in my corner. But um, there's going to be a lot of people that have different opinions about you, your work, um, your voice, you know, your hair, all types of stuff, because it's that Mm -hmm. type of industry and you have to have tough skin. And that took, took, or taught me rather very early on. Um, it's going to be painful at times and, you know, um, people will be overly critical, but if this is something that you really want, just be relentless about it and pick and choose who you allow to critique you (laughs) and which Mm -hmm. advice you choose to take to heart. But um, I kind of say, like, never accept no for an answer, right? Because if I had just accepted that guy's no and his his opinion of what, like, my life would be, who knows where I'd be right now, right? And, like, who the hell is that guy? But, um, yeah, thankfully I kept on going. So um, that that was, yeah, probably the one thing that really stand. I have no idea what this guy's name is. I, I hope and wish that he can put two and two together now, but... Yeah, that was that was tough at the time. Well, but I think that's an interesting point. You're saying I have no idea what this guy's name is. And I think that brings up the point of what you said before about picking and choosing, because you're all we're always all of us going to get negative feedback from people. And that's just not constructive. You know, Mm -hmm. if he'd said to you, you're a pretty girl, but if you want to work in television, you need to hone in on this, that, and the other. That's constructive, helpful criticism to just say something like that to you that you'll just never work in television isn't helpful. Like, what does that do for anybody? And I think that's the thing to remember. And when someone gives you, and and now I'm talking about the universal you, that kind of feedback, remember who you're talking to, who you're dealing with, and think that's not, that's not helpful. That kind of feedback, you almost can't listen to it because what does that do for anybody? You know, that's, that's just not a thing. And I think that's important to learn. And I think it's important, especially now in our social media world, you know, we get a lot of negative feedback on social media and it's, it's easier to remember that. And I think as humans, we tend to remember the negative and not the positive and getting to a place, as you said, with thick skin and knowing who to listen to and, and who to put aside is a, is a big part of this because you said in the beginning, it's a very subjective industry in a lot of ways, but you know, you have to have the confidence and the resolve as to who you are and, and what you can do. Mm-hmm. And what you're called to do, and you know, like I heard, maybe it was a sermon years ago or somebody passed this story on to me, but if something is like placed on your mind and heart and it literally keeps you up at night, like that's a vision. There's, there's a reason why, you know, you keep on having these thoughts and feelings like I should be doing fill in the blank and you are more than capable of doing it. Right. So don't doubt yourself if it's something that you feel you are called to do. That's like your purpose. So yeah, I totally affirm everything you just said. And oh my God, people on social media are so empowered, um, hiding behind their computers or their phones. So I don't even, when I talk about tough skin, it varies what people, you know, allow to affect them. But I mean, people on social media, I could care less what they say. Which is important. I think that's important. I think that should be kind of the feel. I remember the first time someone on social media called me trash. I actually went, great. I feel like I've made it. Thank you. <laughs> someone, someone on Twitter said I was trash. I'm doing something right. But it's a hard thing. You know, it's a it's a hard thing. And it is something, you know, that we all have to, to get used to. And I'm happy to hear you say you don't even worry about it or think about it because that's really where we all should be. And it's not so easy. 
But mm-hmm. I think some things like the experience that you talked about a couple of minutes ago kind of can reinforce how people mm-hmm. on social media are just not something to listen to. And you're talking about who you should and shouldn't pay attention to. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, it's important and it's tough in today's world, but it's important. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we talked about that. As you have seen opportunities change and grow for women in sports, how have you seen them improve and how do you think we can continue to do better? I think it's awesome that more women are visible in sports, um, not just in front of the camera, um, behind the scenes, you know, being directors and producers and, you know, front office positions with teams. I think there are more women in positions now than, you know, just five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, It's unfortunate that we're still using the word first, like she's the first to do this or the first to do that. So that's where I see, you know, a lot of progress still needs to be made. But um, something else that I've noticed is that we across the board seem to publicly be supporting each other so much. And there's so much power Mm -hmm. in that city. And you don't have to have this mentality like, well, I've made it. I can't have another female competing with me for, you know, it's, it's not a competition. There are more than enough jobs out here. And mm-hmm. the more that we reach across and elevate one another and support one another, um, that's when we'll see real consistent change. And there won't be so many firsts anymore. It'll be more of the norm. I could not agree more with everything that you just said. And I think that that was so important to highlight and not being competitive with each other and supporting each other is just so, so important. And I know that people talk about it, but it's so important to what we do. Mm-hmm. So I am very glad you highlighted that. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that Major League Baseball is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, AJ, we've come to one of my favorite parts of the podcast, and that is day in the life. And I'm wondering if you could take us through a day in the life of AJ Ross. And it's up to you what day you want it to be. It could be a game day. It could be preparation for a game day. Uh, I leave that up to the guest choice, but this is always fun when we get to really hear what it's like to work in this industry. Well, since I already kind of got into preparation and that, you know, varies depending on the season, if I'm covering NFL, college basketball, March Madness is such a crazy, crazy, crazy time. So I can't even say one particular day is the same as the next um, during those games. But um, game day is the best day because it feels like all the work that you've invested um, and prepared throughout the week. It's like it's showtime. Now you finally get to showcase all that you have done throughout the week. And um, that's the fun part. So uh, game day, it can vary, again, what time I have to arrive because of um, East Coast, West Coast, if I have to do some pregame reports for our network coverage. Um, So I'm there at least like four hours prior to the game. Okay. 
if not more than that, like six hours. I'm using like NFL game in my mind right now as I imagine this. Okay. So I may have a couple pregame reports, um, but obviously I'm getting up like pretty early. Even before that, uh, I don't have like hair and makeup on the road. So I've become a quasi like makeup artist through YouTube videos, <laughs> <laughs> other tutorials that other people have taught me in person, like pro makeup artists have taught me. So um, that's process. But anyway, getting to the stadium, um, it's pretty cool. Like having this uh, serene vantage point that, you know, very rarely do other people get to see before all the people fill into the stands. And so um, doing the reports for our network to begin the day, um, I feel kind of gives you like a practice run before the game itself. So I like actually getting up earlier and having to do some extra work because it's almost like, you know, a practice run before or dress rehearsal before the big event. So um, leading up to game time, we may rehearse like one time just to get the timing down for our um, opening. So, you know, I usually work with Greg Gumbel and Adam Archuleta. And uh, depending on what story I'm covering, I can be before kickoff, after kickoff, or, you know, just have my own segment again, leading into the game, like five minutes before. So that varies, but, um, I'm the type that like, I, you know, kind of write out bullet points or have different, um, like a beginning and end that I for sure want to hit. So I am pretty secure in at least like that first report. Like I know for sure what I'm saying for that throughout the game though, you're kind of reading and reacting on what is happening and who's having a great day. And that's when all the research that you did leading up helps because you can research a guy all week, like their star wide receiver and he maybe gets hurt or does, does not like have a great statistical day and some other, you know, guy, a tight end, you know, ends up having the, the game of the, the day. Mm-hmm. And you, if you've done your research, you're prepared to pivot mm-hmm. and you're prepared to add something because a lot of times throughout the broadcast, how I mentioned it being conversational, it is Greg and Adam just kind of having a conversation. But if I ever have something that I want to add on, I've built this rapport through my research. Like my producer has that much confidence in me that I don't have to tell him what it is I'm about to say. He's like, okay, jump in Mm -hmm. because he knows whatever I'm going to add is going to add value and it's going to flow with what they're saying. I'm not going to repeat something. I'm not going to say something that's like everybody at home is like, duh, we know that. And that's why I say there's no substitute for cutting corners or no, you know, just the process, knowing your stuff. You don't want to cut corners because so many variables happen through, throughout a game and you have to adjust. And um, going in at halftime, it also helps like because you've watched the practices to your point leading up to the game, you've talked to the coaches in advance, you kind of know their strategy going into the game. And if that's not working at halftime, you immediately know what to go to with your questions with that coach Mm -hmm. and who they were maybe looking to lean on um, to perform in particular matchups. So you're, you're prepared because you just have maybe 30 seconds with that coach going in at the half. Um, Coming into the second half of the game is kind of more of what I said, as far as playing off of like the ebb and flow of the game and adding in when you can and post game to your point, it can be kind of chaotic. Um, I was at the game, it was, I think, week three or week four um, last year, where it was Baltimore and Detroit, and um, Tucker hit the record-setting field goal. Mm -hmm. It was like 61 yards, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that was absolute mayhem 
because the entire Ravens bench just, you know, sprawled out onto the field. This is still like COVID protocols. So I can't technically have my mic reaching out to um, Lamar or Tucker. I had to have like somebody else holding a mic and still ask my questions and look at a different camera and being able to like, again, have um, the experience that I've had with news and other situations where I know like we have to get off air in two minutes. And if I don't hurry up and get this interview, we're going to be screwed. Um, It's scenarios like that that you can never predict where experience is your best teacher. And I'm out there like talking to them, like somebody's mother, like, (laughs) Hey, get over here. <laughs> I need you. Lamar Jackson, if you don't get over here right now, you can, you can celebrate after this, but we need to get this interview done right now. But also coming into that, like who would anticipate at the end of the game, you're going to interview a field goal. Kicker, right. right? Of course. Like that usually doesn't happen. Right. So, um, again, with over preparing, I'm able to, um, you know, going into the game, there was like different stats, like milestones that um, Justin Tucker was approaching okay. that I was able to like even talk to my producer about leading up to like, hey, this is a possibility. Um, can you confirm like this is the um, total number of field goals he's made in scenarios like this? You know, mm-hmm. like just so your question at the end of the game isn't one of those like, so how does it feel? Right, right. <laughs> you know, like pet peeve of mine and I'm not trying to um, dismiss anybody else's work whatsoever it's just I can't emphasize enough when you are over prepared you are always ready for whatever moment is thrown at you so um, NFL days are usually the most interesting and fun and can be chaotic but it, it like game day makes it like it's just it's so worthwhile and I always look forward to whatever it brings. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the exciting part of it. That's why, and that's why people love sports because you never know what game day yeah. is going to bring and you can prepare for every scenario in the world and who knows what's going to happen. But to your point, as a reporter, you have to be prepared for every scenario in the world, no matter what happens. But that yeah. is what makes it exciting and what makes it fun. It makes, it makes what we do fun. Um, this has been awesome. I just, feel like you've shared so much invaluable advice and you've been really kind of open with, with your journey. And thank you so much for doing that. Well, I can't let you go because the most fun part is, is upon us. Uh, and that is my fun facts, which uh, everybody oh. listens podcast knows this is something I do with the 49ers players and they get the opportunity to share five things about them that nobody knows. But on this podcast, we ask everybody the same five questions every week. And uh, no pun intended, it's a lot of fun because we get a bunch of different answers. So if you are ready, we will do five fun facts with AJ Ross. I'm ready. All right. What is your favorite moment in sports? So I feel like that's really hard. <laughs> it is, it's, it's actually the hardest fun fact that I have found when I ask people. As I think about this, I I have so many that come to mind. Like, it's like pick a sport. Something I said recently, um, as far as like, keep it focused on women. I have so many moments that like are very vivid in my mind with Venus and Serena Williams, despite me not covering tennis. Like I'm a huge tennis fan, especially as like a little girl watching them grow up. I mean, you can just name any number of Wimbledons or any other majors that they've won and just them playing together. I'll point to those, but I'm Pittsburgh girl. I have Steelers memories galore, Mm -hmm. WNBA memories. Oh my goodness. Like 1997 was epic 
watching the first year of the W to me was like, every game was just like, I can't believe these women are here, you know, mm-hmm. and now they're in their 26th season. So I, I'm not giving you one moment. It's just so many. And to your point, that's what makes sports so special. Cause you can say, I remember where I was when this happened and you're hugging strangers in the moment, like thinking, you know, like this is uh-huh. the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Sports is a beautiful unifier in that way. It's funny. I was at a conference last week and there was a panel, a couple of panels on sports that I saw and the business and all, all of the things. But what was interesting is exactly what you just said is someone on the panel said there really isn't anything else like it where you could be sitting next to someone you don't know. And the next thing you know, you're hugging them or high-fiving them or crying okay. with them. And there's right. really nothing else like that in the world. So um, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, all right. What is your life motto? Um, I'm going to sound like Drake and say YOLO, but I mean, it really does apply. (laughs) I I have added perspective. Even recently I had a close friend pass away and, um, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but he, he was very young and it was a car accident and you just have to, you know, between that happening recently and the pandemic for me was like, wow, what are we going through? When are we going to get through this? Um, is life forever going to be like different? Um, I, I have this mentality of like, you have to seize every moment you can, whether it's, you know, like grinding hard with work. Yes. But also having that balance of going on vacation and, you know, making memories that, um, will last for a lifetime. So I just try to make the most of everything now more so even family time more so Mm -hmm. than I think I did before. I think I took a lot of things for granted and like, Oh, of course I'll have time to do this and that. And, you know, life recently has just taught me like, maybe you won't. So seize the day. I like that. Seize the day. What is your go-to workout? I'm a runner. I became that through the pandemic also. I mean, I ran track in high school and was pretty good at it, but I can't say like, Oh, I love running. Right. I also played basketball my entire life. I love basketball but that's not a go-to workout of mine lately. So running for me is very mental as well. And it can Mm -hmm. completely change like my attitude. I can like roll out of bed, have a funky attitude, go for a run. And it's like, I feel great. And the world is great. (laughs) I'm going to give my money away to, you know, this charity, whatever, like it completely alters my mood. And it helped me so much, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, just kind of like pass the days and have a goal And so I'm on a Nike running app with different friends and that keeps me going. Like on any given week, it's like, oh no, so-and-so is beating me by a couple miles. I have to get out and do a run real quick because I refuse to let them beat me. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's been, that's been my thing lately. Go-to coffee order. A chai tea latte with almond milk. Uh, Actually, caramel chai tea latte. Ooh, caramel chai tea latte. That sounds delicious. Yes. Oh, I'm going to give that a try. And last but not least, a book every woman should read. Oh, I've thought about this as well. I really love The Alchemist. Okay. I think um, it's specific to women, but just people in general um, and following your heart in life. I think that's an excellent book. Also, purpose-driven life is something that I often refer to just to you know keep me kind of grounded and guided in what... I feel I need to be doing. And maybe your occupation isn't always your vocation, but, you know, having that perspective of like, what is your purpose in life? I think it's important. 
Thank you, AJ. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And if you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We are brought to you today by Bet Online. And with that, I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.